And what you have here is you have um, two forces ready to unite, the Akkadians and the Spartans. And the Akkadian leader, he looks at the Spartan you know, force and he, he doesn't think it's a large enough group. And so he looks at the size and he... he but you know, Leonidas, the leader of the Spartans, he begins to ask those questions about, what is your profession? And, and I, I've been mulling on this scene for weeks because I really feel like this scene really captures... Um, one of the things that I think God's trying to communicate through this series of, as we look at Nehemiah, because it's very easy to, to wrap up our identities in our professions and to see ourselves um, based on what our career is or whatever it is we do with our time. If we're a mom, if we're a, um, if you're a, you know, an educator, if you're in banking, if you're in business, you know, if you're, whatever that career is that you, that you have, it's very easy to let that career and what you do with your life really define who you are. Um, but what you see in this movie is you have these Spartan soldiers who all saw themselves as soldiers. Now, sure, many of those Spartans had to know how to do pottery and sculpting and construction and cooking and all of these other duties, but their main identity wasn't wrapped up in what they did. It was wrapped up in the fact that they were united as a force. And I think that really captures just this picture that we find in Nehemiah where people decide to band together and to let, um, you know, maybe their skills be secondary, let their experience be secondary, and decide to place the mission first. That's what you find in the book of Nehemiah. And for us as a church, as we've been looking at this, I think it's really important to think about this. We have an opportunity as a church to to unite together as we as we work together, as we as we build God's kingdom, as we even battle opposition at times. We talked about that three weeks ago, just like in the story of Nehemiah, where there was opposition from the outside as people were trying to attack God's people. You know, there's just all of these opportunities to, um, to break unity and to go into our own little corner and to build our own little kingdom and to focus on our own family and our own identity and our own career and our own success and to just let go by the wayside the unity that can happen in order to accomplish great things for God. And I think in Nehemiah, what you have is just a, a strong, strong commitment from a group of people who become soldiers and builders together. And we're going to just wrap up this, this uh, message. And uh, just to sum up what has gone on, um, Nehemiah, he was a cupbearer for the king of Persia, Artaxerxes. And it's interesting because the Spartans were fighting Xerxes, the father of Artaxerxes. And so it's an interesting connection there in history. But Artaxerxes, this foreign king, was a kinder king to the people of God, to the Jewish people. He allowed them to travel back to Jerusalem to rebuild their temple, to, to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. And they accomplished that with God's help and with the provisions that he, that he gave to them. Um, they rebuilt this wall. And so Jerusalem, once again, was now a fortified city but Nehemiah knew that the nation of Israel could never be strong again as long as Jerusalem was weak. So he knew that now that the Jerusalem was rebuilt and protected, if that was ever toppled again, that would destroy the nation. And so he knew that he needed to not just rebuild the wall, now protect the wall and make some commitments together. And so... Nehemiah calls on God's people to present sacrifices or to give themselves to God for some greater purposes. And I want to look at the three 
purposes or the three sacrifices that Nehemiah called God's people to give. And so, uh, because as you can follow along if you like um, on your outline, the first thing on there is God still calls on us. You know, this, this happened 2,500 years ago, the events we're looking at in the book of Nehemiah. But God still calls on us to sacrifice for the sake of building his kingdom. He still calls on us. Nehemiah, he, he led the charge and then the people responded in, uni- in unison to, to get some major things done. Um, but God still expects for us to move together as one. Three things specifically um, that they did that, that I want to challenge us in as well. Um, first thing is this. God calls us to give our gifts to Him. He still calls us to respond to Him by sacrificing with our, um, with our possessions. He, he wants us to give things back to Him. God is so generous with us. Um, he's very kind. He, in, in times when we do not deserve it, um, God, you know, in, in Nehemiah chapter uh, 9, I believe, He just tells a story about God's generosity. God's people would rebel, they would turn away from Him, and then God would restore them. He'd be be kind and generous to them and let them rebuild their lives. And things would go well for the people of Israel. And then, again, their hearts would harden, they would begin to trust in themselves, they'd break away from God's commands, and it would all fall apart, and then God would still restore them. He was just generous, He's very kind. We named our daughter Grace because the picture of Grace is it's unmerited or undeserved favor. It's just it reminds us of God's kindness. That's what the word grace mean, means. And God is gracious with us. He's generous with us. And so He calls us to respond to Him by being generous ourselves. And so what you have in chapter 9, we're not, we really don't have time to look at all the details of chapter 10 through 13, but I want to kind of hit the high points with you. But at the end of chapter 10, you see this verse. Um, we will not neglect the house of our God. God's people, they signed a covenant. They, they pledged an oath to God to not neglect His house, to not neglect the temple that had been rebuilt. There was this reconstructed temple and now it was their responsibility to take care of it. Not just to see that it was protected, but to see that it could function in, in, a, in an organized manner. That required um, resources and that's where God's people stepped in to provide gifts. God calls us to do this. He calls us to provide gifts so that His church can function and can, can work together. Um, I want to tell you about the gifts that, the, that God's people 2,500 years ago made a commitment to give. It's not your outline, but it all falls under this point of giving our gifts to Him. But there's, there's four ways that the Israelites supported the temple or supported the church. The first thing is this, is they gave what was known as the temple tax. Um, as I look at these commitments that they made, um, these all fall under Old Testament laws. Okay? These are all Old Testament laws that the, that the Jewish people were required to, to fulfill. Um, we're not, we are not held to these laws. Um, there's a, a new way of living for those of us who are in Christ. And so God does not, uh, you know, we're not bound in the same ways to these things that I'm going to look at. But I want you to understand it because laws are tied to principles which are timeless. And so the laws grow out of some really, really important truths that God still wants us to capture and live out in our life. And so the first thing that they supported wholeheartedly was this temple tax. And look at verses 32 through 33. This is from their statement that they made. They, they made this oath. It says, We assume the responsibility for carrying out the commands 
to give a third of a shekel each year for the service of the house of God. So there was this tax on them for the bread set out on the table, for the regular grain offerings and burnt offerings, for the offerings on the Sabbath, the new moon festivals, and appointed feasts for the holy offerings, for the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel, and for all the duties of the house of our God. In order to pull off the functions that were going to be happening year-round in the temple, that those temple priests needed resources to pull those things off. And so there was this mandatory tax placed on God's people. And if you were over 20 years old, then you were required as a Jewish person to pay this third of a shekel tax back to the house of God. And, you know, today, um, you know, we, we don't have to provide animals and grains and other materials like that in order to worship. But we do have the opportunity to help maintain God's work and to carry out God's ministry. And so that's the principle. There are things that are needed each and every week within a local church that we have to be mindful of as members together. What are those things and how can I play a part in that? The next thing that they were required to give was a wood offering. The wood offering you find in uh, verses 34. And it says, We the priests, the Levites and the people, have cast lots to determine when each of our families is to bring to the house of God, of our God at set times each year a contribution of wood to burn on the altar of, our, of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. This, might, this is a really foreign concept to most of us because none of us are really familiar with you know, altars and offerings and all that. But in those days, there was an altar within the temple where offerings were presented to the Lord as a sacrifice to Him, as an act of real worship. But in order to keep the altar lit, um, wood was required. All the time, wood was required because the altar was not to go out. And so... Uh, the leaders, they drew lots, they, they cast lots in a sense, they, they drew straws in a sense. And depending on who's, who was drawn, those tribes were to bring wood at certain times during the year. Everybody needed to, and this interesting, interesting thing is, um, not everybody in Israel could be a priest. Not everybody in Israel was from the right tribe to be able to function in certain roles within the temple. But everybody had wood to give. So everybody was required to give this resource, this common commodity, so that God's work could be carried on. And again, I think we have to apply this to our lives and think about, in the same way, at OCC, at our church, everyone has something to offer. You know, there are things that we can offer at key times um, in church life um, for the sake of carrying on the ministry. It's, it's been exciting to see... Um, just the outpouring of generosity when it comes to giving to those in need. Because I think we recognize, you know, I could, I, could, I could pitch in. I could do that. My family could do that. My kids even want to do that. And so the, the idea here, the principle is that everyone you know, has stuff to offer. When we, when we decide, you know, I'm going to commit together to give back to God. This is the third thing that they gave was first fruits. First fruits is found in um, verses 35 and 37. Here's the verses. It says, We also assume responsibility to bring the house of God each year the first fruits of our crops and of every fruit tree. As it is also written in the law, we will bring the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle and of our herds and of our flocks to the house of our God to the priests ministering there. Moreover, we will bring to the storerooms of the house of our God to the priests the first of our ground meal, of our grain offerings, of the fruit of all of our trees, and of our new wine and oil. God's people made a commitment to give the first and the best 
back to God. This is a very, very important part of the Jewish life. The understanding that God God deserves our best, not our leftovers. He deserves what's first, not what's last. And this is a great um, example in in Jewish history, something that um, I think, again, the principle ought to challenge us when we think about our giving back to God. Are we giving our first and our best, or are we giving God the leftovers, if, if ever there is a leftover even? Um, we live in, we've looked at this weeks back about just, you know, the debt that consumes our lives. We feel very little um, ability. There's no margin in our lives, so it's very difficult to give generously to God. But God, um, He wants our best. And so they made a commitment together. They decided, you know, we're going to, um, we're not going to forget about this. Um, they even offered their firstborn children. Now, what does that mean? Some of you are wondering, what does that mean? You know, um, does that mean that, you know, that they were offered on the altar? How does that work? I've heard some crazy stories in the Bible about that. Um, what this is about is, um, in, in the Middle Eastern religions even, the firstborn would be offered to the gods. And so the Jews modified this, and they would still offer the firstborn, their firstborn to God as, as a way of saying thank you for blessing my family. But there was, there, was, there was a real significance about this as far as fertility and as far as blessing in the future. Um, but God didn't take these children as sacrifices um, he would allow them to be redeemed. So families would come and they would take their firstborn to the temple and redeem those children or exchange, um, based on what the priest said um, the value was, in a sense. So they would pay, again, they would give gifts for their firstborns to the priests to be used to carry out ministry. But this was, a, um, this was something that was um, even monitored by God's people. Um, you couldn't sneak around because... They made a commitment together. This was a pledge that they made to give the first and their best. I think we need to just be challenged on this area of intentions. You know, sometimes we, we consider giving to God. We have that intention. Um, but intention and actually setting our feet in the direction of giving is two different things. So we have to go beyond intention and, and decide to be generous. The last thing that they committed was um, the tithes. There's a long verse... 37, it says, and we will bring a tithe of our crops. A tithe means a tenth. So they would bring the tenth of their crops to the Levites, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all the towns where we work. And then verse 38 says, a priest descended from Aaron is to accompany the Levites when they receive the tithes. And the Levites are to bring a tenth of the tithes up to the house of our God, to the storerooms of the treasury. The people of Israel, including the Levites, are to bring their contributions of grain new wine and oil to the storerooms where the articles for the sanctuary are kept, and where the ministering priests, the gatekeepers, and the singers stay. And then that statement we already looked at, we will not neglect the house of our God. So they make this bold commitment to not drop this responsibility. They decided we're going to be generous with our resources, giving back to God. Again, we're, we ought to be challenged in the same way. Um, we're not bound to these... Um, these commitments like God's people were, the Jewish person, as far as giving, was required to give a tithe of all of their crops. All of their produce was to go back to God a tenth. And then there was a second tithe that was to be given to take care of 
to take care of the annual feast. So just so they could carry out the tithes. So there's 20%. And then every third year, there was another 10% given, which would be collected to be given to the poor. And so 23.3% was about what the average Jewish family would be giving back to God. We're not bound by that. But it's important to understand um, there's some the principles of giving, those are in response to what God has done. If we truly understand that God has redeemed us, He's given so generously, then again, we ought to give back to Him. Jesus didn't um, cancel out the tithe. He, he affirmed the, the tithe to the Jewish people. Um, but there was a greater principle of just generosity, proportional giving with generosity, not, not being bitter when we're giving, not begrudging our gifts, but just with an open hand, giving back to God. So they make this commitment, and God calls us to the same thing. The second thing is, God still calls us to give ourselves. He calls us to give ourselves to Him. One of the things that that you see in chapter 10, just kind of thinking back to what we just looked at, was these were commitments made together. We will not neglect the house of our God. We will bring this. We will bring that. We will bring this. When we make commitments together, it kind of is a, it, it's accountability. And that's what those people experienced. That's one of the reasons we have formal membership is because it provides accountability. When we say, hey, we will relate to each other in a certain way. We will put our goals and interests, the goals and interests of others ahead of our own. We will live and open. And those are, you know, those are first person plural. We are deciding to do this together. Um, easy to make commitments for myself. You know, I'm going to go on a diet, I'm going to exercise, I'm going to, you know, but for me, those commitments to myself don't last very long. But when I make a commitment together with a group of people, now they can check up on me, right? And that's why, again, that's why we make commitments together as members. But this is the thing that they did. They committed to give of themselves back to God. We're just going to look at verses 1 and 2 in chapter 11, because most of this is an accounting of land appointments. Um, but I'll just tell you about that in a second. It says, Now the leaders of the people settled in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of every ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while the remaining nine were to stay in their own towns. The people commended all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. So again, the walls and the gates were all restored. Everything was back in good shape. Um, it was smaller, but... The Jews were able to inhabit their city. But the threats of opposition were still very strong. Their enemies were outside the gates, taunting them, ready still to attack. And so, Nehemiah says, somebody's got to live inside the city wall. Somebody needs to live inside Jerusalem. And so, there was volunteers, and then there were some people that were just drafted for this assignment. So, one, one out of every ten were, were told to live inside Jerusalem to protect the city. Um, this, this deals with safety. This deals with uh, function within the city walls. But somebody had to take the risk and move into the big city. Um, this is, again, very important for us to understand. Just the willingness, the sacrifice that it took for those people to say, yeah, I'll go, or to be chosen and then to go and to live within the city, knowing full well that battle was probably ahead. Opposition, conflict was ahead. But they were willing to sacrifice of themselves to live inside the city to protect God's, to protect God's reputation. What this really reminds me of is 
is the sacrifice that it takes to start a church. We started this church two years ago, and it took great sacrifice for those people that came with us to start this church. Um, So as I read this passage and these verses, I thought immediately of the team that helped us launch this church. And I have a picture to show you who those folks are. You may know some of them. Um, but this was our, this was a photo we took about two years ago, maybe two and a half years ago, um, from a team known as the launch team of Orange Crest Community Church. Um, there's my family on the left, and then DJ and Anna Chapman with Ethan when he was just a baby. They have another son now, Bryce. Then there's Barry Palmer and Scott and Penny Lamberth and their, their children, Ellie and Luke. And what you have here is this group of people we were all going to church together in Diamond Bar. Most of us had been there at a part of another church for about eight years. And God put on our heart this desire to come and start a church in Riverside. And our pastor over there, he said, who of all the members of our church, he said, who will go? We had about 350 people. And he said, who will go and move to Riverside to start this church next year? Sell your houses, relocate your lives, Quit your job and get a new one if you need to. Move your children. Move, you know, uproot your lives and, for the sake of the kingdom, build your life in a new place. And you know, this is the team that ended up going with us. Um, and it's amazing to me as I think about the commitment that that these seven individuals make made these adults um, major major sacrifice on, on their lives um, because. It's not easy to say goodbye to our friends. It's not easy to say goodbye to our church family. People, we knew that as we were moving here, starting from scratch meant um, people would be depending on us in ways that we depended on other older people, wiser people. And now people would be looking to, to many of us for answers that we didn't feel that equipped to answer. And God has used this group to to launch this church to see you know see where we're at now for the for God's glory, not for ours. Uh, but this required major sacrifice. Um, it sounds like a fun idea to, to start a church until you know what that all involves. <laughs> um, major, major risk. This, this group, and I'm not, as the pastor and my wife, we kind of knew we were, we were in. Um, we figured if it didn't fly, we'd, you know, we'd make a new life here in Riverside and we would just see what happens. But for this group, there was, there was even more risk because, um, you know, sold, they sold houses. They, they relocated their lives. That was just a major challenge. The commitment that they made was to serve um, two nights a week for two years and their weekends. They gave up two nights a week and their weekends for two whole years. They were told they had to, um, they had to ask permission to go on vacation, which sounds kind of crazy, I know. But um, our senior pastor over there, he said, you need, to, you need to check in with Josh before you go on vacation. You know, check with him to see if it's it's a good time so that you're not leaving in a time when he might be depending on you. Um, but th- this just reeks of sacrifice for this group. Here's a verse, Romans 12.1. This is the challenge to all of us, though. This is what God requires. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. The most important thing we can give to God is ourselves. Just to put our life on the line and say, God, I'm yours. However you want to use me, I'm yours. I'm willing to move to this city to accomplish your purposes. I'm willing to give up my dreams and my goals to follow your desires. 
I'll put your agenda ahead of my agenda. I'll sacrifice for you, God. That's, that's really what it means. A willingness to sacrifice. But very quickly, we needed to expand this team because we did not have the capability to, to do um, what needed to be done to grow this church alone. And so over time, a core team began. Here's a picture of the team that began to form probably about four months, five months after we started the church. This was a picture we took at the last day of our, and this is probably not everybody, but these were those that were um, sticking around to tear down that day. And we took a quick snapshot together. And just um, this was our last day at Amelia Earhart Middle School. And um, then we moved here to this location. Um, but many of you that are in that picture and many of you that weren't in that picture that were here and that are here now, you've served. This, to grow a church, to fulfill God's purposes, you've served families by watching children. You've served in the nursery. You've served many of you in Kids Zone. Many of you get here at, you know, you leave your house at 7.15 or 7.30 to pick up a trailer to drive it here so that we can have church. Many of you run the equipment and when things aren't going right, everyone's looking back at you and you deal with that kind of thing. And, and many of you set up brew coffee, refreshments, decorations. You get here early to practice your instruments. You work on things. You teach our children. All of what it requires is sacrifice. Serving is sacrifice. We have to put ourselves on the line in order to accomplish God's purposes. Again, it's a powerful picture. You see it in the Old Testament as Nehemiah challenged these people to move into the city and to risk themselves. But the risk doesn't stop there. It carries on as you take risks and as you step up and God uses you, God will throw another challenge before you and ask you to take another risk. And and that's just the Christian life. That's what it means to walk with God is we walk by faith, not by sight. So just continue to give of yourself. The third and last thing is this. God calls us to give our praises to him. He calls us to give our praises to him. A powerful thing that we see in chapters in chapter 12 is this is that there was this major worship service. There was a celebration. Nehemiah 12.27 says, so they, you know, they built the wall and then they have this big dedication ceremony. It says, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. Liars, not liars. <laughs> liars, the instrument, not the person. So. But singing is mentioned eight times in this chapter. Thanksgiving is mentioned six times in this chapter. Rejoicing is mentioned seven times in this chapter. And just instruments of different kinds are mentioned three times. There was this huge celebration because God calls us to praise Him. He wants us to give continual offerings of praise. Look at verse 43. It says, and on that day, so they have the celebration. And on that day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. For the woman, for the women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard from far away. So they were in such unison and in powerful praise that people at a distance could hear them singing. And again, that's like, that's not only a wow, that's that's cool. But it's also a challenge on us. Does, do, does, are we, do we live a life of praise? Do we praise God with our lives? You know, this is interesting because in verse 30, 33 it says, not just the professional musicians 
um, rejoiced. But look at it says the women and the children were rejoicing as well. You know, they everybody got, got involved. It's easy to come to church and to just stare at this group of people and to just be like, man, they're doing a good job today. Good job, guys. And to give Cody a high five and, you know, the instrumentalist high five and say, way to go, man. You guys really rocked the house today. And just to sit there and stare. Um, but God, he calls us to give our praise to him. It's, this isn't for the Christian. This isn't much of an option. There isn't much of an option. We're, we're called to rejoice. We're called to give thanks. That's why we sing. That's why we that's why we worship together is because our singing is not so much just a uh, an American Idol, you know, kind of situation where we're trying to impress each other. Those those songs that we sing, those are not directed to the band. They're not directing those songs to you. They're directing that to the Lord. These are offerings of praise saying, God, you're worthy of everything. We want to sing these words that are true of you. The songs that we sing, these aren't just songs that make us feel good. What we're doing is we're taking the scripture and we're singing this back to God. These, the songs that we sing, are, they're based on the Bible. So these are our offerings of praise. So what I want to do is encourage you that even though we are a newer church and it's easy if there were a thousand of us to sing because nobody can hear us. But when there's only, you know, a hundred of us in here, somebody might hear you. But that's OK. The point is that you're not singing to each other. We're singing to the Lord. And so I would encourage you to sing out. Um, chapter 13, I don't really want to get into this, but I'd encourage you to read chapter 13, see what happens. OK. Nehemiah left Jerusalem eventually after serving there for 12 years. He went back to Persia to serve as the cupbearer. And he got news that things went, things went the wrong direction again. And so he came back and he got physical with the people. One of, one of the guys here reminded me of the fact that it was like a UFC fight in, in chapter 13 where Nehemiah comes back and starts pulling hair and slapping guys across the face because they got out of line. And so he asked me, what kind of leader are you? And I said, yeah, I don't know. I didn't. But, <laughs> but, but. Nehemiah, as the leader, he took this challenge very seriously to direct God's people to live the life that God called us to live. And so um, we've, we've looked at this. It's been a lot of fun to look at this book together. And um, I'm, I want Anna Chapman to come up because as we've been looking up, go ahead and come on up and you can use them. Um, would you turn Cody's mic on? She's going to use this mic right here. As we've been looking at Nehemiah, we called this message series Banding Together. We we use this to, to draw some principles out that we could apply to our lives, but also we, we prayed and we asked God to reveal some needs in our community, and we, we, we've decided we're going to band together, just like the people of God banded together to accomplish something that needed to be done. We did the same, and uh, Anna's going to tell you a little bit about that, and I'm going to tell you why we did what we did. So, um, Whichever you want to do. Okay. It's on. Okay. Can you still hear me? Okay. <laughs> oh, there it is. All right. So we did two different things to band together. And um, one of the things was Operation Christmas Angel. I realize it is now called, not Angel Tree. But um, that was, that was um, banding together with a local organization to get gifts to parents who can't afford gifts to give to their children on Christmas morning. So those parents are now going to be able to wrap these gifts that we're donating and give something to their child on Christmas morning. 
So that was the first thing that we did. And, and we did that to just be generous. God calls us to give our gifts to him. This is one of the ways we give, is we give to others who are in need. This is what Matthew tells us. And this is what Jesus told us in the book of Matthew about giving. It says, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret, he will reward you. The reason we're not hand-delivering gifts door-to-door is because we're, we're, oftentimes when we give to those in need, we're to do it in secret. And I love the fact that with this giving, we're simply giving it to an organization who will give those gifts to parents so the parents can give those gifts. And we're, we're in the background, and we're just being used by God. So. Um, and the second thing that we did was we partnered with the community center here to help them put on what they called the Santa's Workshop. And that happened yesterday morning from 8 o'clock to 2 p.m. And families from all over the community could come for um, $10. They got a pancake breakfast, and they got to um, do different crafts and play games and meet Santa, and there was entertainment. And it was just a great opportunity for the community for the community to get together and, and meet. I, um, a lot of the volunteers um, told me that they were able to really um, connect with a lot of different in the community. So... It was a good service opportunity. And, oh, oh, sorry, also Friday night, too. There was also a Friday night I forgot to mention. So people who volunteered did have Friday night set up and, um, or Saturday, um, you know, working the event. And some people did both. Yeah, and, you know, we, the place, I mean, I drove by and it seemed like there was a lot of cars, even for the fact that it was raining. So, you know, um, we were able to also provide um, some money so that um, last time I heard, it was like 64 individuals to, were able to come to the event um, for free. We just provided the money for that so that people, the families could come and their kids could just enjoy the day. And, you know, um, the parents were able to just not have to, to pay for anything at the event. Uh, we did that. We served at that event because of this. This is Philippians 2, 4. It says, Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing. He took the very nature of a servant, being made in human, human likeness. God humbled himself, came as a man, and he, he was a servant. And we, we, we're called to do the same thing. We're called to serve behind the scenes. And so thank you for joining in. Thanks, Anna, for organizing that stuff. We really appreciate it. I think there was almost 50 um, children that we gave to. And so thank you for working together, banding together. We hope to do more of this um, through the next year as just God presents needs um, to us. Let's go to him in prayer. Thank him for his word. Father, again, we...